This morning, we are going to take a look at friendship. So we're going to have our Bibles open to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Let me encourage you to go ahead and get a Bible open or go over to the YouVersion Bible app and just fire away. You can open it up and you hit more and then you hit events and then you find new vintage and you can follow right along with us. We have some very interesting things in store for you today over on the YouVersion Bible app. So uh, if that's where you'd like to, to follow along, then by all means, do that. You may be like me. Uh, going what we call Zoom blind. And by that, I mean you have been to your share of Zoom-style meetings where the little squares pop up like the Brady Bunch. And I'm getting to that point now where I went to well north of 20 meetings over the past week that were online with more than just one person where I was sitting there talking back, to, back and forth with multiple people. And at some point, that gets old. It gets old because we are used to human interaction, real live humans, a little bit of screen time, that's what everybody does. But, 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 but I'm talking about just actually getting to sit and interact with an actual human being, an actual human being. Well, companies, employers, their employees are experiencing the same thing all over the country. So whether it's Zoom or GoToMeeting or whether it's FaceTime or other things, other venues where companies are having these meetings go back and forth, we are now at the crux of what they are calling Zoom blindness. It got so bad, in fact, that one time there was a particular company and they were having their Zoom meeting and everybody was kind of doing the normal thing. They were starting to check out. And then all of a sudden, a new character entered the fray, a new employee, if you will. It was a goat, an actual barnyard goat, not the greatest of all time an actual goat. All of a sudden, right there in the meeting, they're just staring at a goat as joined the meeting. And the soundtrack of the meeting is hilarious, actually. The guy's like, dude, is that a goat in our meeting? And then everybody kind of looks around and like, yeah. And then the goat's just chilling. He's just sitting there, whatever. And so for the next 10 minutes, they just kind of interacted with one another, laughed at the goat, tried to get the goat to do things and everything. And so this has actually become a thing. How much of a thing? For somewhere between $65 and $200, you can get for 10 minutes now a goat to attend your Zoom meeting. How popular is it that you can get 60, pay $65 or $200 for a 10-minute goat to attend your meeting? It gave birth to a company. I'm not making this up. This is the actual name of the company. It's called goat to meeting Dot com. You can go there, you can sign up, you can have a goat attend almost any meeting you want. The downside is it's become so popular that you actually have a couple of months to wait before they can actually fulfill your request. Because what people realized was just having that little bit of extra something just kind of snap things, snap us out of it or whatever. I think the thing that we need the most right now is just not necessarily barnyard animals in the Zoom meetings. What we need is actually just be in a place where we can interact with each other. We crave community. We were created that way by God. He didn't create us to be alone. God said when he was creating the world, everything that he created was good except one thing. And it was that man should be alone. And so God brought Eve to Adam and there at the very beginning of creation, we were brought together with other people and are intended to be that way. It's consistent throughout scriptures. God brought Adam, Eve He himself exists in community as 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God calls each person who calls on the name of Jesus to become part of his body, the church, the community of faith that we call the church. In the end, when we go to heaven, we're there with other people. We're not there by ourselves. And it's completely okay to maybe get peopled out at certain points or another, but community is good for us. Jesus, when he walked the earth, he had apostles alongside of him. He didn't go his ministry alone. But he even existed while he was here on the earth in community. It is vitally, vitally important to us. We sense this intuitively. The New York Times published an article this past week, very interesting, about how much phone time we're spending. And I don't, I'm not talking about screen time where you're looking at your phone. What they found is that we are on our phones making, get this, remember these? A phone call. A phone call. Our phone calls per day Okay, our 800 million, 800 million, and this is only on like over the air. This is not through Wi-Fi. 800 million phone calls a day in the United States. 800 million. Now, just to put that on a scale, normally Mother's Day in the United States has 400 million. So that means the average per day right now is twice the usual Mother's Day in actual phone calls. Now, why in the world are we doing that? We're doing it because we need to hear the human voice, a real person on the other end of the line. And the reason we do is because we were created in the image of God. We were created for community. The reason that we have the capacity to be lonely is because we were not created to be alone. Now, secondly, a friend loves us as they love themselves. Okay, I want to say that again. A friend loves us as they love themselves. I really want to make sure that you get this. A friend loves us just as they love themselves. Let me take you over to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And I want to read verses 1 to 5 together. And then we'll take a look at one of those paradigms, one of those principles of a friendship in the New Testament, a relationship between two guys named David and Jonathan. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Listen to that. He loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Who? David. This is right after David had beaten Goliath. And then Jonathan, Saul's son, bonds himself to David in friendship. It says uh, Saul won't let him go back. Saul keeps him and says, hey, David, you come with me here in my, my kingdom. King Saul did. It says, verse 3, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Verse 4, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So at this point in time, keep in mind what's happened. David has just beaten Goliath. Saul pulls him aside and says, hey, young man, I'm proud of you, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Jonathan, Saul's son, becomes a very close friend of David's. And that friendship, it says that they, their souls were knitted together. Okay, so picture it like a, those of you who have even sewn your own face masks, okay? 
there's a knitting process. There's something that weaves those things together that their souls became like that, like sewing two pieces of fabric together. Their souls were put together, and that particular connection of soul is the Bible's kind of picture that it gives us of the beauty of friendship. So here in the context of David and Jonathan, that language, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and he loved him as his own soul. They were one. They were close. They weren't like drinking buddies or golf buddies or happy hour homies or whatever. They were knit together in soul. And perhaps most importantly, Jonathan loved David as his own soul, it says. Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, we're about to learn. Jonathan was Saul's son, and eventually Saul would, uh, King Saul would sour in his relationship with David. He became jealous of David because after David's victory over Goliath, people began to be very fond of David and kind of look away from Saul. In fact, there was a little song they used to sing to taunt the king, and it went like this. Saul's killed his thousands. David's killed his tens of thousands. And so people would sing that out in the streets. And when they did, it was like a clanging of cymbals in the ears of Saul. He couldn't stand it. And so eventually, uh, because of his own disobedience, God reveals through the prophet Samuel that he's going to take the, the kingdom away from Saul. And so when that happens, Saul goes bananas because he can kind of see the handwriting on the wall. He can see that David eventually is going to be his successor. And so he doesn't like David and his envy continues to grow. And as it grows, he eventually gets to the point where he can't, really function well. He's so jealous of David that he wants to kill him. In fact, there's a scene there in the text where David is there and he's playing music to actually calm Saul down because Saul has become distemperate uh, over time. And so David's there and he's playing music for Saul and Saul gets so mad he takes his spear and he throws it at David's head and thankfully misses. And, but David flees and takes off. And so from that moment on, uh, there was this kind of back and forth where Saul says, hey, don't worry about it. I'm not going to kill David. David comes back in the house. Then he threatens to kill David and tries to kill David, and David has to flee. Okay, well, all the while, while that's going on, Jonathan, who is Saul's son, who has now knitted his soul to David in friendship, okay, that's the dynamic at work here, okay, and what we're watching. So Jonathan is Saul's son. And he helps save David's life from his own father trying to kill him numerous times. In some cases, he persuades Saul of David's blamelessness. He'll go to Saul and say, hey, why are you trying to kill a guy that's innocent? Why are you trying to kill somebody who won this great victory over Goliath? Why are you trying to kill somebody who's been nothing but good to you, Saul? Other times, he's actively involved in helping him escape. There's a very strange kind of entertaining story in 1 Samuel 20. Uh, and in that, in that story, there's a festival going on. David's supposed to be there at the table uh, sitting next to Saul or near Saul. At the time, David's very nervous about going back there because he knows that Saul's out to kill him. And he thus says, hey, tell your dad that I'm at a, I had a family emergency, essentially, and I'm over here doing this. Tell him, um, and I'm going to be gone. Well, they also understand that Saul's expecting him to be there. So they come up with a little plan, David and Jonathan do. Remember, their souls are knit together. They're bros, they're brothers, they're friends, okay? And he says, basically, if my dad says this, that tells me that he still wants to kill you. If he says this, then it's not a big deal, all right? So Jonathan becomes the carrier between Saul and David to let David know if it's safe or not, okay? So on the night, they were very near when that happens. 
There's another piece of this. Jonathan says, all right, you hide. Here's how I'm going to let you know. I have some arrows, and I'm going to come back near where you are, and I'm going to have somebody with me, and I'm going to fire these arrows into the air, okay, and then tell this young man to go retrieve them. And when he goes to retrieve them, you'll hear me say one of two things. If I say, yeah, there they are, go ahead and pick them up, then that means one thing. And if I tell him, no, keep going, you haven't reached him yet, then that means you're in danger, don't come back. And so Jonathan is proactive in helping save his life. So again, remember, he's convincing Saul that he's blameless. He is um, saving David's life through communication. And the reason is, it says, that he loved him as his own soul. See, in friendship, I get to that point, real friend cares about your well-being so much so that they care as much about you and your survival and your prospering as they do of their own. Love always protects. And one of our most fundamental drives, after all, is survival. And Jonathan, we see, wants David's survival as much as he wants his own survival. Okay, so the same theme is picked up in the New Testament as well. Paul says in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, he says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of others. Now, Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 22, verse 39. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the essence of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and it is most certainly the essence of what it means to be a friend. The essence of friendship is having our souls knitted together so we care as much about the other as we do about ourselves. I want to say that again. The essence of friendship is having our souls knitted together so we care as much about the other as we do about ourselves. So that right there is what separates biblical friendship from just friendship. There's something different, and there's something that biblical friendship offers that other types of friendship doesn't. And we see it here in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verses 15 to 18. It says this, While David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. And Saul's son Jonathan went to meet David at Horish and helped him find strength in God. You can underline that in your Bible. Helped him find strength in God. Don't be afraid, he said. My father Saul will not lay a hand on you. You will be king over Israel, and I will be second to you. Even my father Saul knows this. The two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and then Jonathan went home, but David remained at Horish. So there again, you see this strengthening of him in God. Imagine you're David, and you're out there, and you're exhausted, and you've been on the run from Saul for weeks, months, who knows, maybe years. You're exhausted. You're tired of looking over your shoulder. And you've tried to be faithful to God, but nothing seems to be changing. Jonathan goes out there, and he doesn't just try to help David stay alive. He strengthens him in God. And there is something that biblical friendship does that other friendship just doesn't do. That is, helping someone find strength in God. I want to say that again, and I want you to pay attention closely, okay? There is something biblical friendship does that other friendship doesn't and can't do. That is helping somebody find strength in God. So Jonathan does a lot of things for David. He expresses care. He helps with information. He gives him weapons. But after months on the run from Saul, death possibly at nearly every turn, this is what I bet meant the most to David. 
Because Jonathan says to him, he says, look, David, God's hand is in this. I know it might be hard to see right now, but God's hand is in this. His plan is for you to be king. So don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that. God's got this. Let me ask you, is there somebody who needs to hear that right now that you know? Maybe it's you, but is there somebody that you could, you could share that with? Is there, is there somebody that you could strengthen in God, that you could strengthen their soul in God? Can you think of somebody to help? All of us probably do right now. And if so, strengthen them in God. Lastly, number three, being a good friend honors God by being like him. Being a good friend honors God by being like him. In John chapter 15, Jesus blows our minds with this. This is verses 12 to 17. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. But I know, look at this, this is amazing. I no longer call you servants because servants don't know their master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. I have called you friends. I've called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me. I chose you. He chose us for friendship. I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever task you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. We are friends of God. We are friends of God. Let that sink in. You are a friend of God. I am God's friend. And he says that he has called us to be his friend and that he has shared with us what the Father has shared with him. And so Jesus then becomes the model of what friendship looks like. You see it in the Old Testament in Jonathan toward David. But then you see it in the person of Jesus, the epitome of what it means to be a friend. Jesus, he shares with us. He sacrifices himself for us. He models godliness for us. He strengthens us in God so we can go and bear fruit and he saves our eternal lives. And so every person watching this, okay, understand, everybody has one friend who will never fail you. Each one of us then should be a friend like him. So when I interact with others and when I'm trying to be a friend to somebody, I'm not just trying to be there and supportive of whatever they do no matter what. That's not really what friendship is in biblical terms. In biblical terms, it's having your soul knitted together to strengthen one another in God. We see this brought forth in the ministry of Jesus. We see it in how Jesus has acted toward us in adopting us as friends, as choosing us as friends. And so nobody really has to be lonely or should be lonely not with the people of God around because Jesus's example empowers us and encourages us to be true friends to people people who go around helping strengthen people in God there was an article in the Wall Street Journal that appeared recently by Aaron Zittner the headline was callers get an earful from a nation on edge now this is an interesting one because it talks about the plight of call center employees during the current crisis that we're in and how they're used to calling people and, of course, being hung up on or 
being yelled at for different things, but they're experiencing something different during this particular time. Here's what Zittner writes. Uh, he writes that their jobs, the call center employees and salespeople, anybody that uses the phone to connect to people for business purposes, that their jobs are being complicated by the fact that people they now call have an insatiable desire to talk. He tells us a homebound nation is turning to the telephone to connect with the outside world amidst the coronavirus pandemic. For customer service agents and others who work by phone, that has added new tension and emotion to normally routine calls. So this is from a, a call center employee. It says, people are quick to pick up calls that in the past might have gone to voicemail and are eager to share their anxieties. While the agents aren't on the front lines of hospital work, Zittner continues to write, they say that they are bearing some of the emotional weight of a frightened public. He goes on. Rebecca Muller of Phoenix, a 24-year-old who conducts customer sur uh, consumer surveys, said people will just start talking about one thing and it snowballs from there. She then told about a woman alone with two children who told her that she hadn't talked to anybody outside the home for days. Her next sentence, a man who had just lost his job wanted to talk through his financial fears. And then he goes on and he just lists thing after thing after thing that people are just kind of dumping these things on people who are calling them to just simply say, hey, you know, we realize you haven't paid your bill yet. Or, hey, have you considered a new water softener for your house? I mean, we have a desire to be in community. And rather than fighting against that, maybe we could welcome that, understanding that we are created in the image of a, of a God who exists in community as Father, Son, and Spirit, who created us not to be alone, but to be together. And then using the examples, some that we see in the life of Jonathan, for instance, and his trade of, of considering David knitting his soul together with somebody else, not being afraid of what's gonna happen if I do that. But that, and then strengthening him in God and being willing to, to consider David's needs and his purposes for God as equal to his own. And then to remember Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who was the perfect friend, the one who came and showed us the truth of what it means, a greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Well, we all have one friend will never fail us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And each of us should be a friend like him. New Vintage, we've got several different ways to do this. And, and we try to practice this and live this out. But I want those of you who might be watching that aren't necessarily a part of our church, I hope you'll consider this, okay, really seriously. We have these things that we call growth groups. And we, we really want people to be a part of those for a reason. The reason is it's good that we be together. It's not good that we should be alone according to God and it's important to have people who can strengthen our souls in God. All they are are groups that go on all around San Diego County and sometimes even beyond of people that get together and we just talk about what it means to be in the body of Christ and how we can continue to live out this faith, how we can be a better friend to Jesus and to one another on a daily basis. And you're going to see now there's a link over there. And if you'd like to be a part of one of those groups, we would love to do it. Yes, it may be on the dreaded Zoom for now, but it gets us in community with people and it helps us not feel like we're so alone all the time. Nobody in this world really should be lonely. No one should be lonely, not in the kingdom of God. And so I want to build 
a bridge to you, <laughs> offer you one, over into community today. So I hope you'll take the opportunity to do that. Right now, we're going to share the Lord's table. And even that, that ask, that, that gathering, when we gather around the table, that's not designed to be taken by ourselves. That's a communal meal. From the time it was celebrated first all the way until today, we do it together. And so even though we may be doing it in separate homes for just this moment in time, you're not doing it by yourself. We're doing it together as friends of God, gathered around the table of the Lord, and with one another as we do so wherever we may be. And so today, I'd like to pray as we take the bread and the cup, which represents the body and blood of Jesus, which is the single greatest illustration, what Jesus did for us on the cross, of what it means to be a true friend to somebody. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for their friends. And that's what we remember when we take communion. So I'd like to offer a word of prayer. And then as we take it, just remember that you have a friend in Jesus and that you are surrounded by people who would love the opportunity to strengthen your soul in God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, right now as we take the bread and the cup, we remember Jesus who showed us on the cross with his body and blood what it looks like to be a true friend to others. And we ask, Father, that that would become a way of life for us, that we could offer ourselves on the altar of God, Father, for the sake of others, that we would be willing to sacrifice sometimes our own needs for theirs, that we would be willing to consider others better than ourselves, that we would go around looking for ways to strengthen people's souls in God. And so, Father, now, bless us as we take this meal, which has so much in it about what it means to be a community. Let me thank you for Christ's example. We pray this in his name. Amen.